Welcome to Sabbath School for June 27, 2020. This is the last Sabbath of this quarter, and uh, I've enjoyed immensely going through the quarterly about how to interpret Scripture, and we're going to have a fantastic study about how to apply the Scriptures in our life coming up in just a few minutes, but first we need to focus on mission. Our global mission feature today is one of our Mission Spotlight videos, this time coming to us from Norway. Take a look. So we, we spoke to uh, some of the leaders in the municipalities, the mayors and these things, uh, and the representatives. And we asked them what are the real needs in the community. And one area that really stuck out as a major uh, need was, uh, was loneliness. In Sortland, Norway, loneliness is a key challenge among both the elderly and the young. About one-third of the teenagers here say they feel lonely. So this is why we, we started thinking, well, what can we as a church do to, to contribute and meet that need? Uh, we're trying and failing uh, and uh, seeing what works, what doesn't work, and through that uh, learning. They d don't necessarily know the, the name of God and who He is, but a lot of people do believe there is a God. Um, and so belief in God is quite typical at the same time as traditional church is seen as problematic in regard to the core cultural values. This region was one of the key areas for Adventism in Norway. Uh, we had areas here with the highest density of Adventists in, uh, in all of Norway. And now our churches are very much dying. Similar to many places around the world, the church has lost its foothold, struggling to be known as an integral part of the community. Can the church still be relevant here in Sortland? Pastor Kenneth believes so. The key is forming connections where people are and meeting their most painful needs. The family structures uh, is sort of something also this under attack uh, in this region. Uh, so a lot of unstable family relationships. So we had a family retreat recently. We wanted to place a focus upon families spending time together. Uh, so that was the overall goal, um, strengthening family bonds. Over the six days of the retreat, the eight families focused on spending wholesome time together. Organized activities like crafts and games provided opportunities for bonding and a lot of laughter and smiles. It was very positive. It was very encouraging. They were so grateful because these families were also families that couldn't afford uh, vacation themselves. So this was part of it. Also, we were offering them a vacation experience and uh, they were just so grateful for, for that experience. And uh, friendships uh, building over that week we spent together was, uh, so it was a very encouraging time. It has been sort of uh, quite touching also seeing how God has been opening doors that we did not expect. When they see uh, we as a church really wanting the best for the community, um, so they've given access where we can sort of be quite, quite bold and open about faith uh, and, and it's received quite well as well. So I think uh, this is not something we've been doing, but, but it's uh, seeing how God is working on the lives of people and the hearts of people and opening doors that seemed very closed. Please pray for church members in Sortland, Norway. Pray that God uses them to overcome the challenges of loneliness, broken families, and skepticism in the community, and that through this, people can come to know Jesus personally. 
This quarter, a portion of your 13th Sabbath offering will help build a center of influence for Pastor Kenneth and the church members to host programs and events geared toward the community. The offering will also help construct an urban center of influence in Cyprus and establish a church in Serbia. Please consider how you can support these projects through prayer and by giving to this offering. Great as it is to see things going on around the world in places like Norway, we have a place right here in the Michigan Conference where we're trying to win souls for the Lord. And we want to highlight some of the mission things that are happening right now and coming up in the near future here in the Michigan Conference. And today our guest is David Pano, who's actually not here with us in the office because technically the office is still closed, but he is going to be able to join us via Zoom and technology. So let's get this set up real quick. Pull this forward, open the screen. Brother David, are you there? Yes, I'm here. All right. Well, welcome to Sabbath School. So glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now, what we're going to talk to you about today is not just mission work in a general sense, but specifically here in the Michigan Conference, we have a territory the Lord has given us, and you work with the Youth Rush Program, which is uniquely suited to target this area for mission. How does Youth Rush work? What is Youth Rush? Let's, let's just start there. What is the Youth Rush program? It's a summer literature evangelism program, actually. Many students come and they dedicate their lives, you know, for, for the summer. They dedicate their summer to uh, make sure that people are aware and delivering literature, uh, especially for this time, to the people uh, out there, you know, and, and we have a lot of people like different uh, nationalities. We have our Arabic community in near Detroit, but we go as much as we can work with the local churches, distributing literature that are uh, that are important for this time. Now, speaking of this time, uh, we're living in a particularly unique time in Earth's history where we have some limitations on social and interpersonal interaction. How is that going to impact this year's Youth Rush program? Oh, yes, as everything, you know, it has been impacted. This summer, we're going to have it at a shorter time. It's not going to be 10 weeks as usual. It's going to be five weeks. And uh, we will we'll be fundraising over the phone for literature. We're seeing that it's important for us to distribute literature in this time because if you Google prophecy, for, uh, for example, you're going to find so many so many interpretations that mm. you know it's incredible but how do this do the people know which one is the correct one mm. how do they know so it's by us going where they are at so this year we're going to be fundraising over the phone but still we're going to go door to door just this time we might not be interacting uh with the people indeed but we will leave the literature in their homes with a personal note personal touch so we will still reach them and give them the literature that it's in specific for this time because we realize that uh, um, Bible sales has been increasing a lot. So people are more open to read spiritual material these days. Okay, so you're going to still be doing the same type of work, but you're going to have to mm -hmm. adapt it to the current circumstance for safety reasons. And I imagine even if it were safe, people would think it was unsafe. So you want to make sure to yeah. not offend and those kind of things. And that makes sense. That's correct. And we believe that everything can be quarantined except the gospel. Right? <laughs> There's no so lockdown. We cannot quarantine the gospel. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. So if someone is listening to this or watching this or learning about it for the first time and because I'm guessing there's a lot of other summer alternatives that aren't happening, uh, whether it's work things or, or other experiences kids might have. So you're providing not only a spiritual thing, but actually a, a financial benefit for the the individuals who do it, a spiritual growth in their own personal lives, and it is at least happening at all. Is it full, or is there still space or opportunity for people to be part of it this year? We have a limited uh, seating, you can say. We can use that term, seating. We have limited, um, but we still have some spaces. So we will encourage you that if there's a young person that, hey, I want to dedicate five weeks of my summer, I want to do something meaning meaningful, but we also going to be receiving classes like Emmanuel Institute uh, will be helping us giving teaching um, the students how to study the Bible you know the the purpose of life etc so you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of combination you're gonna have friends that want to do the God that want to do the work you're gonna get um, Bible training 
but also you're going to do ministry. So we have spaces available, but I would recommend to apply to miyouthrush.org and they can apply and we will contact them as soon as possible. Okay, so to be clear about this, what age range are we looking to apply? We're um, 15 and on. 15 we and usually on. Go, yes, we usually go up to college age and those are the, the group of people that we're looking for. Looking for those young people, roughly the high school to college age range, who want to spend five weeks uh, not only gaining the blessing themselves, but being a blessing to others through this uh, Youth Rush program. And MI Youth, is that correct? Say that website again. It's miyouthrush.org. All right. There's a section to apply, and you can apply, and, and we will contact you as soon as possible. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Brother Pano. Uh, may the Lord bless in all that you're doing and about to do through this important literature program, the Youth Rush campaign. Yes. Thank you very much, and keep us in prayer as well. All right, we've seen our global mission feature, highlighting the work going on in Norway. We've talked to Brother David Pano about the work going on right here in the Michigan Conference for our local mission feature. But there's still that personal work. And you know, sometimes we might share our faith or distribute literature or hand out a book, and we might not know whatever happens to it. But here's the story of Nathan Casper and what happened to one of those discarded pieces of literature in a way probably the person who shared it never knew and watch what the Lord can do. Uh, My name's Nathan Casper. I wasn't raised a Christian, so I started fresh, I think. But uh, I used to be a drug dealer. I used to do a lot of fighting and stuff, and I had a bad attitude. I went to jail for a, a robbery a long time ago in 2009. Well, there was a crazy guy there. He was a conspiracy theorist alien guy. And he was telling me, the Bible's talking about aliens, you know. Uh, you look in Ezekiel, there's a spaceship, you know, and the Nephilim. Are, they're mixing their DNA with humans and stuff. So I said, well, I'm going to have to give this a look, you know, and check it out for myself, see what the Bible really says. I started reading the Bible for myself. And by the time I got to the Gospels, I believed, you know, I believed in Jesus. And I had to accept that what he was saying. Uh, a mere man couldn't say that, you know. That's, it was just no human has that much love in them to be able to say something like that so I became a Christian and I I was in maximum security at that time so they had to handcuff me and take me to the gym for an hour a day and stuff and by the time I finished reading the Bible I asked God I said in a prayer I said can you lead me to a book that'll help me understand this better and a week later they're taking me to the gym and I see this book in the trash can and that didn't that thought didn't come to my mind you know I just seen a book and I was wanting something to read. So I asked the guard, I said, can, you, can I have that book? And he said, no. So I waited until the shift changed and another guard came on and I said, can you go grab that book for me that's in the hallway in the trash can? And he went over and got it and he brought it back to me and it was the great controversy, you know. And it was a life-changing book. It's the best book I've ever read outside of the Bible. You know, I've read it three times now. It was great. That sent me on a journey because some of the things I didn't agree with right away and I had to study them. It took me a year, you know, to study about death and hell and it took me a full year to try get a good understanding of that because all I had was the Bible and the Great Controversy. So I'm studying that out, and finally they sent me to prison, you know, and I went for quite a while. I went to the prison library, and I found a book in there. It was called The Kingdom of the Cults, written by Walter Martin, and he's not a friend of events. I was reading his book. I'm reading about the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and, you know, and then finally there's a chapter by Seventh-day Adventists, and it says... They're not a cult, but their beliefs are so much different from mainstream Protestantism that I had to put a chapter in here about them, you know, and I'm reading it and he's not really giving good arguments for why they're wrong, you know, and I'm seeing through his, you know, through the stuff and I realized I'm a seven day Adventist from reading a book called The Kingdom of the Cults. From there, I've, you know, I've been on a journey. I, you know, I was at some prisons where they don't have seven day Adventist services. So I I've sent uh, to every, every place that would send me free materials. And I studied up all the churches and tried to understand what everybody believes. And I realized this is the truth. This is where the truth is, you know. I didn't believe it all at once, you know. I had to study every doctrine because some of it sounded strange, you know. But it's, I found out it's all true. A couple years later, I got baptized at the Carson City Prison by uh, Pastor E.J. Wolf, And I, was, I became, you know, I was the leader there for two years, the last two years that I was there, you know. It's, I was pretty successful at uh, getting a lot of people in our church. I would say about 10 a year for four years there. I would definitely encourage people to get involved in prison ministry because 
everybody there is looking for God. Everybody is something in prison. They're either in a gang or they're a Christian or they're a Muslim or Hindu. Everybody is, that's where people are studying and they're looking to find out, you know, who God is. All right, so we've had our mission program highlighting the global, local, and personal work that the Lord and His people are doing around the world and right here at home. But the focus of Sabbath School, while it is mission, the foundation always remains Bible study and prayer. And Pastor Howard, we are now at the final lesson of oh, this quarter's study. It's kind of sad in a way, isn't it? It's a little bittersweet, isn't it? It's like it feels good to accomplish all the way through, but man, what quality well, information we've had. Yes, and it's especially bittersweet because mm. we're transitioning now, as we true. have told our viewers we would. That's true. Uh, let's talk about that for just a minute. Now, to be clear, the purpose of what the, this Sabbath School program has always been to provide an opportunity for a full Sabbath School program, even during closed local churches, right? right? So from the conference perspective, we can reach the uh, churches here in our territory with this program. And praise the Lord that that has happened. And we thank you for the feedback you've given and the appreciation. It's, it's good. I'm glad the Lord has blessed to the degree that He has. But what we don't want to do is have this become a substitute for the local church. What we That's want right. our department to do is to build up and encourage the growth of the local Sabbath school so that every local Sabbath school has a robust mission component to it. And every local Sabbath school has quality lesson studies and right. we want to foster that work but not take the place of that work. So you want right. to add, what, so what are we going to do going well, forward if so this isn't happening? One of the things that, uh, you know, we've been doing this with, a, we have a three camera set up and there's quite a bit of editing and what have you. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that we have talked about doing as we go forward is moving to a one camera setup. We're, we're not going to do a full Sabbath school class like this, but we have been sharing with you and they are available. In fact, I'll have the link on the screen for the outlines that mm -hmm. we make each week. So we're going to have probably a couple of introductory lessons that go through some teaching tips, mm -hmm. how we come up with the outlines, we're going to continue to provide outlines, mm -hmm. Lord willing. But the goal is not that you necessarily use our outlines. If you want to, you can. But that you know how to outline the lesson instead of just walking through, okay, Sunday's lesson, Monday's lesson, Tuesday's lesson, which in some cases that may work. So we want to go over some teaching tips, mm -hmm. how to organize the lesson plan for, for you to teach your lesson. And then each week, we're going to take between 20 and 25 minutes to highlight what we have viewed as the high points of the lesson. And you may take away something different from that and, and modify your lesson and that's fine because you know, you're mm -hmm. gonna be the Sabbath school teacher you know, in your setting. But we wanna provide that framework to help um, teachers and those students who may be studying the lesson who want to have a, a, a maybe a more concise mm -hmm. uh, overview, outline sure. view of the lesson and some ideas on some things, some helpful things to study. Yeah, and as uh, Pastor Howard Deere just mentioned, this is not going to be a full Sabbath school program. We're not going to include all the mission spotlights and mission interviews and all the mission programming part, though we want to see every local church having that in their locality. Uh, and the, even the Sabbath school discussion isn't going to be the full-on 45-plus minutes of mm -hmm. diving into every text and doing the multi-cam and having all the overlaid and everything. But what we want to do is provide a resource that can be a supplement to just the paper that you have in your hand so that maybe we can release those earlier in the week and they're particularly for teachers but also for other leaders or even just class participants. Uh, the average layperson can tune in and be thinking along those lines during the week so that when you get to your local Sabbath school class, it's gonna be rich. It's going to be full and it mm -hmm. helps prepare people for the Sabbath day and the Sabbath school class experience that their local church will provide. And hopefully by God's grace, it will be a benefit and raise the quality of all aspects of every Sabbath school across uh, the entire conference. That's the goal. Absolutely. So with that in mind, we do have this lesson to cover. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, before we do the lesson, we got to talk about the memory verse, right? Well, even before that, maybe we should highlight... Oh, you're going to make quarter. a plug for the next one. That's right. We have Making our new quarterlies. Making for God is mm -hmm. our next quarter's lesson. And uh, the principal contributor is Elder Mark Finley. Mm -hmm. And this is all about soul winning, sharing <laughs> your faith more effectively, which I'm just thrilled with. Uh, yeah. 
it would be hard pressed to come up with someone with more with more experience <laughs> in soul winning and evangelism right. and sharing you know, the subtitles, the joy of sharing in his mission. So it seems to me that what we've been talking about, the message from the Bible that we've been discussing and how to read it and apply it and interpret it, now we're going to transition to how to share that message with other people. That's and right. so an entire quarter on that. I'm a little bit bummed that we won't be leading out because I really want to, but tune into those teaching tips, Maybe those little the video 20, features. Maybe 2025 will be 30 Maybe minutes, 30, so. 30. <laughs> no, We'll be honorable with yes. our time, but it's going to be quality stuff. And our mission focus is the West Central Africa Division this next quarter as Amen. well. Amen. And a huge portion of our church is in Africa. Yes. And there's a lot of activity going on there, so there's going to be a lot of share there too. So very excited about that. Yes. All right. So here we are at lesson 13 of quarter two, closing up the whole uh, how to interpret scripture quarterly. Yes. So do we want to start with prayer or we want to start with a memory verse? Let's do prayer. Okay. And then, yeah, I was going to say, and, and then of course the memory verse, we have to that. get into the memory verse. All right. Can you pray for us? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we are just thankful for another Sabbath day and another opportunity to um, meditate upon your word and the impact it can and should have in our lives. We do pray today that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth that inspired the writers of Scripture would guide us through our study in a, in a very uh, practical way today that we may be transformed by your word, not just now, but daily, Lord. And we thank you for hearing and answering our prayer for we prayed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now the memory verse, mm -hmm. and uh, for those who have been following along, now last week's memory verse was a doozy. It was quite a doozy, <laughs> and, yes. Uh, and we go, and I was talking, in fact, to, we did our Sabbath school live at the Village Church, and mm -hmm. I was talking to another one of the pastors there, and we were talking about the memory verse, and admittedly, from his standpoint as well, as adults, we just have not been memory, memorizing the memory verses. Mm -hmm. We're just like, read the memory verse, you know, whatever. So he's been taking that challenge. And we were just talking about how there are some of the memory verses that for a pastor, when you preach on something enough, you, you just know it, you know, mm -hmm. for he said unto me, unto 2,300 <laughs> days, days, days. That, you know, that was different than last week's memory <laughs> verse, <laughs> yes. you know, consider yes. the long suffering of our Lord, etc. Yeah. But this week's is one of those that just about, I wouldn't just say the pastors, but most Seventh-day Adventists sought to know this one pretty close. Yes, right. Right off the top. Are you going to give it an attempt this week? I'll give it a shot. <laughs> All right. Shall I look right in the camera? Yes. I'll make an appeal out of it. Friends, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James 1, 22. Amen. Wasn't that Fantastic. nice? It was with conviction. It right? wasn't with a song, which we're going to talk about a little bit, but it was... But it it, was, that <laughs> one's so pithy. It's so catchy. It just it sinks is. right in. And that is the theme of our lesson this right. week. Doing the word, not just hearing it. it. Right. And in fact, and we've done this repeatedly through this 13 weeks, mm -hmm. it, it, we, we've regularly made that appeal to actually applying the scripture. Yes. And, uh, and we've in fact made that, that shameless promotion and haven't apologized for it and said, this may sound like repetition. It is, but you have to be doers of the word in essence. Yes. Yes. And so here we come to the final lesson and mm -hmm. how fitting that it's on. Right. And Look, that's we've really should about be interpreting scripture, but in fact, uh, you were going to say. Well, uh, it only makes sense that if you've got an entire quarter about how to read and how to understand and interpret scripture, and if at the end of it you said, "Well, do you understand it now? Good," but that's not how Christ, and we're going to get into that. That's not how He that's delivered. Right. He was said, "Now go and do." Right? There's always got to be the application of it, or what's the point? You know. That's right. And and I was going to go to the first page of this week's lesson, Sabbath mm -hmm. afternoon. Right there at the end of the first paragraph, it says, if we are not willing to abide by the word of God and are not willing to practice what we have studied, we will not grow. Mm. <laughs> you know, so it's not, it's not enough for us just to know how to interpret scripture. There's a mm -hmm. purpose for that. In fact, um, Sunday's lesson, the first paragraph says also similarly, and I love the way they've worded this, in the first paragraph, middle of the first paragraph, it says this, the goal is not about our mastering of the Word of God, but about the Word of God mastering us, changing our lives and our way of thinking. Wow. And so that's really what we're dealing with. Yeah. It, it, we're, not, we're not about trying to impress somebody with mm -hmm. the way we can interpret Scripture. Mm -hmm. We want to rightly divide the Word of Truth so that Scripture has the right impact on us. Okay, so let's dive into this lesson then and study it out. Now, 
Sometimes as we've gone through the lessons, and you will have noticed over the 13 weeks, we follow the flow of the quarterly, and, and sometimes we change things up a little bit. And this week, you know, getting into the week, about uh, Tuesday, I think, I'm not sure, uh, it gets into the, you know, Jesus position on scripture. Well, I moved that up first. I think, think that that's a good uh, okay. uh, foundation to start with. Because okay. as we're ta talking about scripture and the impact of scripture, and some of this is going to be, again, reiterating points. Sure. But how did Jesus relate to scripture? I mean, the Christian religion is about Christ. It's the Christian <laughs> religion. Yeah. And Jesus is our example. Jesus is our model. How did Jesus relate to scripture? Mm -hmm. um, the first thing that the lesson draws out and that I want to draw out is that Jesus personally studied the scripture. Okay, okay. We, the, the lesson takes us to Luke 4, and let's we'll go ahead and look at uh, Luke 4, 1 through 4. Okay. This is Luke's version of the uh, temptation of Christ in the wilderness. And Cameron, could you read that for us? Luke sure. 4, 1 through 4. Okay. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Okay, so when we read that, and mm -hmm. most of our viewers are familiar very with this. Familiar. This is a very popular passage, especially among Seventh-day Adventists. It is written. We even have a media ministry. It, it is, is written. written. It's based off of it. But I think a lot of us are sometimes tempted to think that Jesus was born, like how did he cite, it is written, and he quotes scripture. Right. Uh, he must have been born because he's the son of God, right. and he came from heaven, and he, he must have already known that his whole life. Right. But that's not what scripture tells us. Mm. Do you get the right? picture that, you think that, and maybe there are many people who have the picture that Jesus came preloaded, yes. like he came with the software already installed, that he had all the, what we would have on an app now, every quote, everything, and he just almost magically had it at his fingertips, that there was no like growth in him, that there was no development. Right. But scripture seems to paint the picture otherwise, doesn't right. it? From, from, a t from the time you're, you're little, in the, in the Adventist church at any rate, there's a memory verse that you get mm -hmm. that says, the child grew in wisdom, wisdom and in stature, stature and right. in favor with God and man. Right. Very clearly the Bible teaches that Jesus learned. He came and learned as we would learn. He came and walked as we would walk and lived as we would live. And so mm -hmm. he himself had to study scripture. He didn't say it is written in the wilderness because it was preloaded. Right. It's because he studied the scripture. Mm. And I mean, that's... It's an it, incredible thought when you think about it. Sure. That, that the author of scripture studied it himself and grew in it. Yeah. Well, because the weight of that, I mean, the implication for us, if he came preloaded and I didn't... Yeah. You know, but if Jesus himself... That's right. ...had the need to study scripture, well, we're going to get around to that. Okay. But... In, in addition to, in fact, um, there was a good point made on Monday's lesson I want to read. Okay. Um, in the first paragraph there, Monday, actually it's the second paragraph, says, Jesus knew the scriptures well. He was so intimately familiar with the word of God that he could quote it by heart. This familiarity with God's written word must have resulted from precious quality time with God in studying the scriptures. And so, as we've mentioned, Jesus studied uh, Scripture himself. But more than studying Scripture, uh, the lesson goes on to say there, Monday, uh, it, it highlights, um, this is in the third paragraph, even the devil quoted Scripture and used it for his own deceptive purposes. Now we're reading there in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, in that wilderness of temptation, the devil began quoting scripture to Jesus. Yes, so he did. being able to quote scripture isn't the, the ultimate, you mm. know, just because you know it. Uh, it's interesting. Well, let me continue with, the, with what the lesson says. Um, Thus, just being able to quote scripture as the devil did is not enough. 
one also needs to know what else Scripture has to say on a subject and know its correct meaning, which our whole quarterly has been about. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't just know the Scripture, he knew the right and wrong application. So when the devil came and said, hey, the angels will bear thee up if you cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple, Jesus knew that was a wrong application. Right, even though he got word for word That's verbatim, exactly right. the quote, he knew he wasn't using it incorrectly, right? He you was, know, I'm, yes. I'm thinking back to the time when Jesus encountered the demoniacs, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, in two verses after the d disciples say, who is this that can calm the wave? The demons come up and say, what are we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the... Right. They knew time prophecy. They That's knew the right. end from the beginning. They knew who they were talking. There was no... But it didn't convert them. Not at right? all. You know, uh, so it's, it's not just a knowledge of the word alone. That's right. So we see that Jesus personally studied the scripture himself. Jesus had an understanding, a correct understanding of the scripture mm -hmm. and that there was a correct understanding, which we've looked at, we're going to get to again. <laughs> yeah. And also that uh, the correct application of it. And mm -hmm. that's again, what a lot of our lesson has been about this quarter. Um, now there's another thing I want to look at in Matthew chapter five okay. that the lesson draws out. Um, Matthew 5, and let's go to verse, I think it's 38. I'm looking at my notes here. Yes, 38. Matthew 5, verse... Mm -hmm. Yeah, verses 38, I think, is what you're looking for. And, of course, this whole passage is... Well, let me just read 38 and 39. Matthew 5, 38 says, and, uh, Sorry, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now the lesson highlights that there are many people who look at passages like this and say, oh, well, Jesus is contradicting the Old Testament. He's mm -hmm. introducing something new. He said, you've heard it said this, but I'm coming to change the game. Mm. Uh, that's not what's happening here. And what's fascinating, and we're not going to take the time to delve deep into it, but my Bible has a marginal reading for Exodus 21 that gives this saying, eye for an eye for, and a tooth for a tooth. But when you go back and read that, you'll find that that was God's counsel given to the, the, the magistrates, if you will, of Israel. It was a civil law for how you're supposed mm. to deal with problems when they come up among people. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus was not, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, don't do that. It's not, you know, the civil law was just saying there's got to be a fairness in, right. in delving out justice. But whereas uh, 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 the magistrates may deal out justice, that's not my job personally. And what Jesus mm. was trying to say, you had people who were taking to heart the idea like they were the ju judge and jury. And Jesus said, no, 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 for you, turn the other cheek. Mm. So he's not speaking to them and contradicting. Right. He's saying on a personal level, you conduct yourself this way. Yes. Okay. Well, you, it makes me think of when Jesus was having, you know, the very closing end of his life and Peter wants to take up the sword and Jesus tells him to put your sword away. But right. he says, if my kingdom were of this world, That's I would right. operate, my, my servants would take up swords and, and they would, in, in Romans but, chapter 13, yes, he talks about being a good citizen and how the, you know, the Lord allows the, and, and in fact endorses the idea of good civil government for the Right, a, and the Apostle Paul uses that terminology, he says right. they do not bear, bear the, the sword in vain. But to his own disciples said, but you put That's down right. your swords, right? So he understands there's a civil government that has its place and then there's a church life, the personal uh, character that we each have to manifest. And so what, going back to your point with Matthew chapter 5, I think what we're trying to consay, consay, convey mm -hmm. here yes is that Jesus isn't contradicting Moses. No. He's saying it's for a different purpose and personally you need to be an example of mercy. Your job right. isn't to dole out justice. Right. right, far from contradicting scripture, he was amplifying scripture. Right, right. He was making the right application. And this, this goes back to what we were saying a moment ago. I mean, Jesus understood the way the scripture should be applied mm -hmm. and he actually gave clarity and power to the scripture by showing how practical it, it is to the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And uh, the same could be said today when a person, if, if somebody presents the scripture to you in a wrong way, it can turn you off to the scripture and be like, man, that Bible's crazy and whatever. But when you p understand it put in the right light, mm -hmm. it comes alive and you're like, wow, that just makes perfect sense and what mm -hmm. have you. So mm -hmm. Jesus, far again from contradicting the scripture, he had an understanding of it and conveyed that understanding mm -hmm. uh, in what he was teaching. Thus, it makes course, little, you know, it's, uh, when you get to the end of that Sermon on the Mount, no wonder this because the people were astonished at his teaching. 
right? That's because right. he taught with one who had authority. He understood it enough to convey it clearly. In fact, the lesson makes a great point at the bottom of Tuesday. Uh, they say, far from, this is the last paragraph on the page, far from weakening the authority of Scripture, Jesus consistently upheld Scripture as a reliable and trustworthy guide. In fact, he unambiguously states in the very same Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the mm. prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And he continues to say that whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. So excellent point. Again, the, the, uh, Jesus uh, did not come and contradict scripture. We see that he personally studied it, understood its proper meaning and application. And finally, Jesus understood scripture as words to live by. We just read it in Luke 4, 4. Mm -hmm. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, by, mm -hmm. by every word of God. I mean, first of all, in the context, where were the words of God he was referring to that we should live by? Oh, well, they were in the scriptures, <laughs> it right? It is yeah. written. Yeah. And so for Jesus, far from the scripture being irrelevant to where we are today and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, maybe taking a piecemeal, every word of God. I mean, you don't get much clearer than that. That's how mm. we should live. The scriptures, Jesus viewed the scriptures as a guideline. And I'm sure we're going to touch on this later on, but, you know, it makes me think, I, it, it might be easy to think that of all the people in the world who could ad lib yes. and shoot from the hip, it would be Jesus, right? He is God. He had no sin. So he, he is the word, right? But he consistently referred back, not just to the the known word that he had in his mind, but to the written word that we have access to. That's right. So giving us that example of reliance on scripture. So though he may have been able to spout it off, but he goes back to the word that we have access to. And, um, you know, because I think a modern parallel to that is oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, the spirit led me to do this. And the spirit, as though mm -hmm. if I have a connection with, the, with God yes. or a relationship with God or an experience with God, whatever the language you want to put to it, and I'm led by the Spirit, yeah. that, I mean, Scripture's good advice and all, but I've got the leading of the Spirit, which right. supersedes. And Jesus could, of anyone it's who like could actually legitimately say that. It's like elementary school to high school and college. It's like, right. now I have the Spirit, I don't need the Bible anymore. Exactly. That's so elementary. But Jesus but was the right. Word, and He relied on the written Word. That's what right. What a powerful... You never, see yeah. a di you never see a variance from that. Never. And I'm thinking of the passage, and we've looked at it a number of times in Luke 10, where the young man came to him and said, hey, you know, what, what do I do to... Um, Inherit eternal life, right? And Jesus said, uh, keep it... Well, no, in that, he, he in asked, that particular he, yeah. case, this was where the young man's like, what's the great commandment in the law? Oh, okay, That's what yeah. I'm thinking of. And Jesus said, uh, you know, what is written in the scripture? How's your reading of it? You know, so he didn't say, what's the spirit impressed you with? What's in your heart? <laughs> How do you feel about it? You know, mm. you don't have that kind of what is written in the scripture. And then when the man answers it, he says, you have answered rightly, but he doesn't end there. <laughs> do this and live. That's exactly right. That's right. So we see that again, consistently, Jesus studied scripture, believed mm. in scripture, understood and properly applied, applied its meaning. And, and again, that can be maybe, I don't want to call it an excuse, but at least an explanation for why some people maybe are standoffish about the scripture and they maybe lean towards a higher critical uh, viewpoint because maybe they've had the scripture uh, uh, um, applied in a wrong way in their life and mm -hmm. it's turned them off. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But the reality is if that's the case, who is the one who, who is behind that wrong application? Mm -hmm. The devil. What that's was right. his purpose? To get you to distrust scripture. <laughs> so if you're distrusting scripture, who are you listening to? Right? Wow, Don't yeah. go down that road. The, the devil's objective is always to wean you off that's of right. the, thus saith the Lord, for that's sure. That's exactly right. So, in, yeah. so Jesus understood the application of scripture. He magnified it and he believed they were words to live by every word. So let's take that example of Jesus now and how do we apply that in our lives? What does that look like? Well, first and foremost, if Jesus felt it was important for him to study the scriptures on a regular <laughs> basis. What does that say about us? Uh, there's no comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I suppose maybe once a week I should, you know, mm -hmm. mm -mm -mm. no. In yeah. fact, it's funny that uh, as I've worked with being the director of manual and student training people in, you know, personal soul winning, mm -hmm. we've gone around and talked to a lot of people about their spiritual lives, knocked on doors and things like that. And it's funny you ask the question, do you have a Bible in your home? And it's funny how many people will almost arrogantly say, I got several Bibles in my home. <laughs> like, how often do you read it? And yeah. the most common question 
or answer to that question is once a week. Hmm. You know what that means? That means when I go to church and the pastor brings up a text and I they turn say, to it. They say, open your Bible, my, turn to the, yeah. That's not study of the scripture. That's certainly not what Jesus did. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, Wednesday's lesson brings out a couple points on this. Okay. Let's see, Wednesday in the, in the uh, second paragraph, right down at the very end, it makes this point. It says, the special quiet time with God in reading his word and in the communication of prayer is the source of our spiritual life. And we're going to flesh that out a little bit more as we go on, but then follow on past that little read section to the very next paragraph, and it starts out this way. It says, if you love someone, you enjoy spending time alone with that beloved person. So the idea here is, if you love God, if you love Jesus, then you're going to spend time with him. And the way you spend time with him is in the Word. That's where we gain a view, an understanding of Jesus. Mm. Um, but I, I, take, I don't want to say I take issue necessarily, but I do think it needs some explanation. You know, where it says, if you love someone, you enjoy spending time alone with that someone. I love my wife dearly, but I wish I could say I've never gotten, allowed <laughs> myself to get too busy mm. To not spend quality time, you understand. Well, I'm glad saying? that's where you went through it because I was afraid you're going to say like, I mean, I love my wife, but I don't <laughs> no, like no. spending time no, with her. No, no, I love spending time with. But my the wife. issue is but not that you yes. don't like spending the time, but even in a relationship where you love someone, that time can somehow get eaten and uh, that's swallowed right. up by other things. And, and and that can be discouraging sometimes for people. I mean, I think we okay. Jesus studied scripture. Jesus had devotional time. We ought to have devotional time. I don't think it's a newsflash to any of our viewers that <laughs> devotion. In fact, we recommend I devotional know reading. as a pastor that this is probably one of the greatest struggles among Seventh-day Adventists is having regular devotional time. Mm -hmm. And we get all feeling guilty about it and this kind of thing because we know we love Jesus. We should be spending that. We know we should be doing it. And so when the lesson makes that point, I just want to encourage those viewers who have maybe slipped in having regular devotional time to tell you, uh, I wish I could say it was uncommon, but it's not. It can be very common. And the devil has a, 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 a thousand ways to distract us from having quality time with Jesus. Mm. So, um, I guess, we, you know, we were talking about this earlier, when it comes to having regular devotional time, what's the first thing that needs to happen? <laughs> well, you have to make it happen. You have to schedule it. I mean, if, if we're being honest about it, it's not like you have to discover your love and then let that motivate you to do it. You have to sit down with the calendar, you have to make a plan, you have to look at your daily schedule, and you That's have to right. factor it in somehow. And we talked about there's a there's a phrase that frustrates me when we talk about this. People say, "Why don't you need to just find some time?" <laughs> and the reason I say it frustrating is because most of the people I know have plenty to do. It's not, mm -hmm. and and there's no finding time. It's like your schedule's full, and I'll have people say, "I just I don't have time." You're not going to find time if you're looking for time. Mm. <laughs> you need to, and and of course this is a. Uh, saying it's a but truism it's, you, yeah yeah make time yes well we can't really make time god well, can make time exactly we and, and, and our, we talked about this a little earlier as mark alluded to and i like that phrase make time because it's interesting we joke about it of course because we can manage time we can reevaluate we can schedule our activities within time but time itself is not something you can make it's a predetermined thing. God has ordained the number of hours in the day and the number of days in the week, and that's just set. The only being in the universe who can make time is God. Yet, in his creation of the world, he purposely made time to spend with us. That's right. He literally made time. He made a day called the that's Sabbath right. day that we were to put everything else away. And in our, we have a Obviously, we can't create time out of nothing and add a day to the That's calendar, right. but we can manage time in such a way that That's we right. make time I was in our schedule. Say, we, 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 for us, we prioritize. Right. And the reality is, and this is, this is again, this is true for anybody I have ever met in my entire life. Is, mm. that, is that explicit That's a pretty enough? broad statement, yeah. People make time for what they want to make time for. I don't care what it is. A yes. person can be like, oh, I'm so busy. I gotta, you know, if you have something come up that they want to do or be at or whatever, they guess find what? a way to make it happen. They find a way. And, and, and when it comes to the spiritual life, you know, we call it the devotional life 
because it's something that you're technically, at least by your profession, devoted to. Mm. And that implies you making that time, prioritizing yes. that time with the Lord. So if a person wants to have regular time with the Lord, you've got to prioritize it. Well, and let's, let's stay on this for just a second because I think sometimes when we talk about spiritual things, we, we talk about experiencing God or relationship with God or whatever, yes. that it almost, even though we don't explicitly say so, it lends towards that flight of feeling type of thing. Yes. That when I feel so inclined, I will be drawn to that and I will, and a time will appear. When the reality is, you take any other relationship. I'm sure that you love your wife, or I won't pick on your wife and you, I'll pick on me. My wife and I love mm. each other very much, but it doesn't just naturally happen. It's not organic and it just, mm. we, it just springs forth out of our pores. You have to like schedule some stuff. If you want to make it, you have to make it a priority. You have to reevaluate. If it's money, you have to spend money. You have to budget for it. Right. Relationships aren't automatic. Right. And that's the same thing. Why would we think otherwise when it came to our relationship with God? There are things you do. So you may not always feel this flight of fancy and ecstasy and <gasps> exhilaration, right. but you do it. That's right. It's that's what faithfulness gonna, is all about. You know? That's right. And we're going to touch on that in a moment that whether or not you feel a certain way, Scripture always has a positive impact, mm. and you don't always see it right away. Mm. So making time to spend with the Lord, you know, the lesson brings out that text, Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about that for a minute. The implication is you're not still. Yes. You're moving about here and there, and the, and the Lord is, it, it, to me, the, what he's saying in this passage is, be still and know, if you want to know that I'm God, you're going to have to stop. Mm. And the implication beyond that is that stopping is going to be a sacrifice for you. Yes. It's not going to be easy to stop. It's going to be like, oh, man, I, but I got so much to do. Right. It's going to take work to stop. That's right. Right. And especially in this day and age, I don't know about our viewers or yours, you know, but I, how much are we inundated by things that are vying for our attention? Little noises, little lights, little sounds, little schedules, emails, text messages, yes. alerts, news cycles, you know, it's, it's, and, it's, and it doesn't have a shutoff time. Everybody just go home at six every morning. You That's know, right. It's, it's 24-7, 365, and you could, it's so easy to get caught up in that flow that you have to purposely put your foot down and say, no, <laughs> right. I will stop here. Well, it makes me think of the statement in Education 261. I have this in our outline. Mm. But in Education, page 261, Ellen White, and notice the contrast here, she says, not a pause for a moment in his presence, but personal contact with Christ to sit down in companionship with him. This is our need. Mm. And so you've got the pause for a moment mm-hmm. or sitting, and, and even the visual imagery of sitting down in companionship. I think to myself, uh, again, and I'm guilty of this, it's, it's a... It's a um, custom almost for many people to when you see somebody in church you see somebody at work and you're passing by you say hey how's it going you're not expecting any conversation whatsoever you're yeah. expecting somebody to say it's going fine and you're maybe gonna even keep just on a gesture moving. and a nod and yeah. if somebody and this has happened to me sometimes and somebody says well you know in other words it's not the pat response and right away you know as soon as somebody says hey how's it going well, and they're going to, oh, wow, they're going to talk about some stuff. And I don't have time for this. Right. And so you're passing. You're not stopping, even stopping and standing, let alone sitting down. Yeah, engaging in a full-on conversation. So yeah. the pause for a moment is that passing by and saying, hey, Lord, morning, I'm going yeah. off to work. No, you need to stop and sit down in companionship with him. Mm. This is our need. Mm. And it's from a human standpoint, that's going to cost me. Mm-hmm. Say, for example, it costs me an hour of devotion, but I lose an hour during the day. No, because the Lord has a way of multiplying That's right. and making you more efficient and everything else. But you've got to have faith that he can do that. Well, it's, so it's quite you know, an experience. It reminds me kind of the, of the tithes and offerings where the yes. Lord says, try me in this, right? Because you can look at your budget because we all have a budget of time and a budget of money. Yes. And you can look at it and think like, I just don't have time for this. Or I don't have money for this. And the Lord's like, test me in this. Put That's me right. first. Seek ye first. And those but, things but, will but. come. Yeah. He's like, but <laughs> yeah. you got to try it. And there's only, you only do it by doing it. Right. That's it. So, and the Lord, we've talked about this too. The Lord gave a practical example of this in the manna experience, yeah. right? Well, yeah, the giving of the manna. I mean, of course, later on, Jesus applies that to, you know, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. But you have, you have physical bread and spiritual bread. And of course, 
later on in that manna passage in John 6 where Jesus said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. He says, the words that I speak to you, mm-hmm. those are the words recorded in scripture. These are, these are, they are spirit and they are life. Mm-hmm. So you have that parallel with the manna. And it's interesting in the, in the giving of the manna, the gathering of the manna, the manna had to be gathered daily. It came daily and there was enough. You couldn't gather and say, look, I'm going out Monday. I'm just going to get a mm. whole bunch of it and store it up so I don't have to waste my time every morning. You know? mm-hmm. So I'm going to have you, a two-hour devotion today so I can dole it out for the rest of the day. You had to be every day gathering the manna if you wanted it. And also you had to gather it early. If you didn't gather it early, and, and you know, I've had people say, well, does that mean I have to have devotion time in the morning? I don't think early means morning. Early means priority. It's the first thing. You're mm. making a priority of it. And the reason is you gathered it early because if you didn't gather it early, what happened? Well, with the manna, it would go away. It evaporated. It evaporated. It yeah. And a practical example, just yesterday, now we're recording this on a Monday. Okay. And just on Sunday, um, I got up. I had some project I was trying to do right away, and I thought I'm going to do that, and then I'll have my devotional time. Well, you know how it is. You get into a project and your mind starts going somewhere else. And it was afternoon before I thought, you know, I never got back to having Mm. that devotional time, right? Mm. And it was everything I could do to stop at that point. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, it's so hard to be still and know that he is God to have that devotional time. So, you know, the man of the tendency... Yeah. And I wish I could say I always stop, but there have been but times seen when I've gone and it's evaporated yeah. out of the day and at the end of the day and you're like, oh, what have I done? Lord, yeah. please forgive me. But that, that practical lesson from manna. And then another one that I think is so uh, important for us today is that there was no manna on the Sabbath. Mm. That the only way they had manna on the Sabbath, now there was a special double portion on Friday, mm-hmm. but the idea is that the Sabbath blessing was dependent upon the manna gathered during the week. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of Seventh-day Adventists, oh, it's the, it's almost the they opposite, go to Sabbath it? and hope to gather their manna, all the manna they need there. And it's not there. Well, it's like the brother who I said, how many... I don't get anything out of church. Mm-hmm. That sermon was dry and boring and blah, blah, blah. It's because you're not gathering manna during the week. Well, like the, the brother you're talking about, when you knock on the door, do you have a Bible in your house? Yeah, how, right. how often do you read it? Once a week. Right. Well, it's the exact opposite that's, of what... In fact, that's the one day, as you mentioned, that he didn't offer it. The expectation was you were building up through the week so that when you come into that, you've got all that you need and you can celebrate. It's fascinating. That's right. Anyway. Well, so the lesson talks about the importance of our having that personal time with the Lord in Scripture. It also talks about the importance of memorizing Scripture. Yes. Uh, Psalm 119, 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Mm -hmm. And the concept of um, hiding the word in your heart just... You know, having, you know, there's something about knowing scripture. You know, there are texts that you may know pieces of, but there's a difference when you know the scripture word for word. Let me rephrase that. When you go to the task of memorizing scripture, it has a way of becoming more second nature. Mm-hmm. I think that makes it, it makes it easier for the Holy Spirit to bring to mind when he needs to bring it to mind. Not, not that he can't bring to mind scripture in other ways, but that concerted effort on our part gives the Holy Spirit more of an ability to, to use that in our life, at least in one part because of our dedication to mm-hmm. the Scripture. I mean, why would you memorize Scripture if you didn't believe in the power of Scripture? So there's several things tied in there. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there's a, there's a statement. In fact, uh, maybe you would read that, Cameron, from Review and Herald. This is also in Friday's lesson. It's the second paragraph. Okay. Um, it says that portions of Scripture, even whole chapters, may be committed to memory to be repeated when Satan comes in with his temptations. When Satan would lead the mind to dwell upon earthly and sensual things, he is most effectually resisted with, it is written. Mm. Mm, powerful. Yes, indeed. So, you know, just speaking to that, the, the, the power of memorizing Scripture, and then the lesson goes on. In fact, I want to read this Uh, Thursday's lesson, the third paragraph, Mm -hmm. makes this point. Singing the words of the Bible also can be a powerful way to memorize the text of Scripture. And singing the words of Scripture are more easily remembered. Now, 
Um, so some true. of our viewers <laughs> are familiar with the fact that you have had a practice in your family, but yes. maybe not all of them. Why don't you reiterate? Tell us about well, that. Well, and I think the little video is still up on Michigan SSP, yes. uh, MichiganSSPM.org. Yep. You can see a little clip of our family doing a few sample memory verse songs. But um, we, we, my wife and I do our... Uh, do our little lesson with our kids each evening, and yes. part of their lesson, weekly, daily lesson, is as the repeating and learning of the memory verse. And it dawned on me several years back that one of the best ways they can learn them is if we had put these to a tune each week, because just going through the rote mm -hmm. memorization can be really challenging. And so I made it. I didn't mean to make it a whole like production all the time, but uh, just to put each and usually they're little kid ones, so they're really not yeah. that long. Maybe a couple of sentences or something, or basic sentences. And so I'd put a little jingle to it, right? And, and to go through it, maybe 20 seconds long or something for each one. But it's incredible how, number one, how quickly they could learn those memory verses within maybe a couple of times hearing it, and then they're repeating it. And they've got it locked well, in. Well, we were talking about the fact that, I mean, and I'm not going to repeat them, but I've got songs in my head that are not scripture songs. You know, <laughs> yeah. pieces of jingles and things like that, commercials. Oh, yeah. That from uh, that I haven't seen for right and secular and we could mention, we could mention mention brand names right here right now we wouldn't yes. even have to sing the tune but automatically that little jingle would come That's back to right. people's minds you walk into certain stores and they've got it playing and ad marketers whatever they make their money by getting that little ten second window of jingle in your mind because it's going to deepen the impression they know that and we should do the same thing with scripture and now when I read through the Bible like there's portions of scripture like when you go through First John or something as soon as I hit Behold what manner of love. The I can't even, it, it, I've even in sometimes in sermons had to stop myself from bursting in a song because I only know that now in the context well, of music. Well, you needed to sing it in the sermon. You've got auditory uh, hearers there. Exactly, you got to mix up right. the different styles of learning. Right. But the point is that, you know, there are otherwise hearers, obscure yes. passages you can put to, and, and it can do it lengthy, and it's, it's incredible. <laughs> to get, and I, I don't want to get off on a whole thing I about this. I said auditory but, hearers. Well, auditory learners is what you meant, but the people didn't We're catch it. We're all kind it. of auditory. That's kind of it. Anyway, yes, yeah, yeah. auditory We're learners. We're verbal talkers, auditory <laughs> yes. hearers, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, it's, um, uh, what was the point I was about? I was about to make a point, and then you, you talked about that. So, anyway, well, I know it was evolution. Yes. Let's talk about that real quick. What on earth, why do we need music yes. from an evolutionary perspective, right? But the Lord has written that in there, not only for our enjoyment, but it deepens mm -hmm. the impression. We can take those ideas, put them to song, and here we have the Word of God implanted in the mind, which Absolutely. is where we have to hide it in our hearts. It's so great. Anyway. Absolutely. And so, you know, I, I actually moved toward the end of our study today what the scripture or what the lesson had brought out earlier, and that is the, the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this. Mm. And I think of the words of Jesus that we just cited from John 6, verse 63, where Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Mm -hmm. And you had touched on it already, yes. that the Holy Spirit is not independent of the Bible. He's not superseding. He doesn't come in as the, as the next graduate level but the Spirit of God, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Yes. The Spirit inspired the Word of God. He doesn't work contrary to the Word of God. He works through the Word of God. And so mm -hmm. even as Jesus, in fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we were talking about yes. this one. Um, great passage. Why don't you read that for us? Can yes. He, uh, here the Apostle Paul says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we'll come back to that in a moment, yes are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, now, break that down. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Because first of all, unveiled face, he's referring back to the time of Moses when he would have communion with God mm -hmm. and, and he would, Moses would come down the mountain shining, reflecting the glory. And they, yes. in fact, it was so bright they had to veil his face, right? Um, and I, sometimes I would get jealous of, you know, Moses got to behold his glory and mm -hmm. reflect it right out. The disciples got to see, even clothed with humanity, they got to see his actions and hear his words and witness his miracles. But Paul says we behold. Exactly, but somehow he says we behold. Now, clearly it's in, it's in a mirror, so it's still not directly face to face, but it's a reflected somehow. How do we see Jesus now? It's mm -hmm. through the mirror of the Word of God. That's right. When we meditate upon his, his ministry and his character and his works and his love for us, we are looking at the character or the glory of Christ through the mirror of Scripture. And I don't think there's a, a point that, that needs to be reiterated more than what you just said, because mm. I've had people say, no, 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 I don't need the Scripture. God speaks to me directly. God who? How do you know him? How do you know anything? He's a God of love. And the, I mean, 
yes. no matter what we say, everything that we know about the Judeo-Christian God is from the Bible. Exactly. Everything we know about Jesus, you can talk about the impression that he spoke to me. How do you know, even know who Jesus was? Right. Because of scripture. Yes. You can't get away from that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, ultimately, and that's what you're, you're saying. Well, and I notice it's not That's what Paul's saying. Yes. The glory we're beholding initially is in the Word. But notice he ends it with just as by the Spirit of the That's Lord. Right. So it's not a contradiction to say, That's right. I read the Bible to learn about God and to get grow closer to Jesus and someone else will say, no, 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 I just follow the Spirit. No, you don't. Because those two <laughs> are built to work together. That's like right. the, the, For instance, when Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come that would lead us into all truth, the Spirit of truth, right? It's not going to be starting here and then taking you away from the Bible off to new truth. It's taking the Bible and deepening right. it and applying it in our lives. That's the role of the Spirit. That's right. This is what the Bible means when it talks about spiritual things being spiritually yes. discerned in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Mm -hmm. And the lesson on Sunday makes this point. It's in the second paragraph right after the read section. And it says uh, at the end of the paragraph, it's the last couple sentences, without the Holy Spirit, there is no affection for God's message. There is no hope, no trust, no love in mm. response. Through the Holy Spirit, God indeed works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure, which we're going to look at in a moment. So the Spirit of God is the only one that can give understanding. Mm -hmm. And there's a statement also that the lesson brings out in the Upward Look, uh, page 155, that says the natural eye can never behold the comeliness and beauty of Christ. Mm. The inward illumination of the Holy Spirit Revealing to the soul its true hopeless, helpless condition without the mercy and pardon of a sin bearer, the all-sufficiency of Christ, can alone enable man to discern his infinite mercy, his immeasurable love, benevolence, and glory. Now, there's a big parenthetical portion of that, so I'm going to read without it. The inward illumination of the Holy Spirit can alone enable man to discern his infinite mercy, his immeasurable love, benevolence, and glory. Mm. The Spirit of God takes the words of Scripture and brings them to life in our mind and gives us that view, that perspective, that spiritual life. So mm. when the Bible says, when Jesus says, the words that I speak are spirit and they are life, I, I think of the text in 1 Timothy 5.16 where um, Paul says to Timothy that the woman who lives in pleasure is dead even while she lives. Well, how is that possible? Well, she's alive, but not spiritually. In other words, we can go through the motions in life. We can breathe and think and act and yet be dead to spiritual things. Mm. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, begets in us a spiritual life. Mm. And without that interaction with the Word of God, we don't have spiritual life. Mm. Education, page 260, kind of speaks to this kind of thing too. Yes. Speaking of those who devote little time to study and prayer, we're told that they can never attain the highest success until they learn the secret of strength. That's right. They must give themselves time to think, time to pray, time to wait, up a God, wait upon God for a renewal of physical, mental, and spiritual power. They need the uplifting influence of His Spirit. Receiving this, they will be quickened by fresh life. The wearied frame and tired brain will be refreshed and the burdened heart will be lightened. Powerful statement. Powerful statement. So I think the takeaway is, you know, we've looked at, you know, Jesus believed in the scripture, studied the scripture, uh, uh, taught that the scripture was the means of spiritual life. Um, we should be studying the scripture, uh, memorizing, committing it to memory and what have you. Um, but in the overall theme of the lesson, it's we're talking about being doers of the word. And when you come to terms with scripture, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and say, how could I ever be a doer of the word? And this is why I wanted to move this part to the end. The spirit of God is mm. given by God, not just to give us understanding, but to empower us mm. to live out the words of scripture, to transform our lives, mm. to be more like Christ. And the lesson brings us to uh, Philippians chapter 2. And I want to finish up with Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 to 16. And this is just an incredible passage. Uh, Philippians 2, 12 to 16. The Bible says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Mm. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Mm. <laughs> it's a loaded passage. Uh. You know, the apostle's talking about working out your own salvation, but he says God works in you, mm -hmm. and that's through the Holy Spirit. This is what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. It is God who works. In fact, the Greek is God, it is God who energizes you mm. to will and to do of his good pleasure. Mm -hmm. And then I like the fact that it brings out a couple things. He says that, um, verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless. Mm. In other words, we're not that now, but we don't have to be discouraged at what we aren't. Because Mercy. by the grace of God and the power of God through the Spirit and the Word, we can become that. Amen. And, and he doesn't end there. We become that in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You know, we've said that, we've heard it said that, uh, and, and I'm not discounting this. Wow, mm -hmm. our young people have it so hard. I mean, when I was and young, I went do, to school, yeah. and, but the world today is so full of temptation, whatever, and I'm not discounting that. But we were talking about this earlier, and what does the Bible say to that? Uh, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's right. And that grace sometimes is seen, as, we kind of assume it, well, that means that the more you sin, there's more to forgive, and so God will forgive even more. But grace is not just a pardoning influence, it's a power to overcome. That's right. So the more there's temptation against something, the more Christ empowers you to prevail against it. Absolutely. So there should be in the same proportion, in fact, even greater proportion, than the world is perverse in this generation than it ever has before. That means that we have more access and more power from God to overcome that than That's ever right. before. So that shouldn't be an excuse for less obedience. It's just saying we need to rely on Christ more and more for the power That's he's right. given us. And he will work in us he's to will and to do, as Paul says, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And then he finishes up by saying, holding fast the word of life. And isn't that what our quarter has been about? Yes. Hold fast to the word, believe the word, trust the word. What does he say? That I may rejoice that I have not run in vain. Mm. Paul says, if you won't believe the word, trust the word, believe that God will empower you to live by the word, then my ministry has been in vain. Mm. Oh, that the Lord would give us the, the, the confidence in Scripture and in the author of Scripture to help us to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. What a fantastic appeal. Let's, let's close with prayer and mm. devote ourselves to him once again. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for being a God who loves us enough to communicate your will and empowers us to live according to it. So Lord, as we close out this particular lesson and this entire quarter of lessons, we thank you for having a knowledge of the word and we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to live out that word. Lord, forgive us where we fall, pick us up again, and help us, as scripture says, to become more like Jesus, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.